<laughs> yes, ma'am, you are. So, um, this is Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be today. If you remember back uh, about three weeks ago, pastor was going to be gone and I was supposed to fill in. And so instead of coming up with a new lesson, we are continuing with the lesson that I had that I was given at that point, which is uh, parable of lost things. Um, and as you guys are going there, I'm going to read Second Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen, which, for the most part, we probably all have this memorized. But it says, "All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof." for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And I read that because is we look at this parable today in Luke chapter 15, it's a parable of lost things. And as we read through this, you know, one of the first things that really gets me is the fact that these Pharisees were just riding Christ because of the fact that he was being associated with the publicans and the sinners. Oh my goodness. And it kind of, you know, as, I, as I'm going through this and I'm, I'm doing this lesson, I'm studying it, it just really, really struck me is like, why would they care? They didn't accept him for who he was. And the only reason why I can think of that they really cared that he was being associated with these publicans and these sinners and these awful people was the fact that all of a sudden they weren't looking to the Pharisees for a direction. They weren't looking to the Pharisees for instruction. They were going to the truth. So... All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So as we go through this today, it's a parable of lost things. And as we look at this parable of the prodigal son and some of the things that Christ talked about, um, it really is, in my mind, a salvation message. So it's not a teaching moment, but, um, and as I look around, most everybody, I know your testimony. So the opportunity to take it in and understand it and personalize it, how can I use this today for me so I can be that bold witness to somebody else? So I can use it somehow, some part of this lesson today, to be a witness to a lost person in my life. When you look at uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Keep in mind, as Christ came, he came to seek and to save all that were lost. 
Now, as we go on through this, there's some other things that you can draw out for yourself. But, you know, the idea is that Christ came to save all. Now, the only ones that really wanted to listen were the publicans and the sinners. The, the, the awful people that the Pharisees were looking at. Because the Pharisees in their own minds were like, what? I'm all right. I'm good. You know, I, I have, you know, I have my piety. I don't know if you can put that on for clothing or not. But, you know, that's what they, they're like. I'm good. Look at me. So let's pray and then we'll continue on. Precious Father, Lord, as we, uh, we come to you this morning, we, we do thank you, Lord, that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. A lot of those, Lord, didn't even really know that they were lost until the truth of the gospel shed light upon their sinful heart. And so, God, as we go through your word today, I pray that you would just calm my heart. Father, that you would give me um, clarity of thought. Lord, that you would help me to uh, just relay some of the truths that I found in your word that were encouraging to me and that uh, you would be glorified in everything that's said and done, Lord. In the end, that's our, that's our whole desire, is that Christ be lifted up and that you would draw all men unto you. It's in Christ's most precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at verses 3 through 10, he says, And he spake this parable unto them, saying, and this is to the scribes and Pharisees now, mind you, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he cometh, and when he hath found it, he layeth it upon his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he come, cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Verse 7. I say unto you, likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either that woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece that, I, which, that which was lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. So like I said, these these Pharisees and these scribes and these religious people were upset that Christ was associating with the, the, you know, those guys. But what does verse 7 7 and verse 10 say? Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Christ Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. I was that lost one. And praise the Lord that he came continually calling after me. Took him 34 years. But finally I was... I hate to say even smart enough to listen because I wasn't. 
I was still running. But he continued to call until I turned. You know, Second Peter verses three or chapter three verses nine, verse nine says, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, that some men count slackness, but is long suffering unto us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." So one soul. If there was only one soul on this earth that would have gotten saved from the day that Christ breathed life into the breath of man until the very end, if there was only one, he would have still went. He would have still went to the cross. So I say all of that. If we remember the video that Pastor played on New Year's Day, you know, and it talked about the thumbprint of God that was placed upon man. Um, the thing that I take away from that video more than anything else is that I live on planet Earth, right? And this universe is so, so, so big that you can't even see planet Earth in the galaxy, let alone the whole universe. You know, the universe is so huge that we can't see the end of it with the most powerful telescope we have, you know. And, and so then we sit there and we, we launch a telescope up into space because we can't see far enough, right? And so we put this telescope up in space now so we can see even farther. We still can't see the end of the universe and God measures it right there. Right there. That's how big my God is. You know, you want to get another real good brain teaser? Think about the fact that God put himself into that which he created. Start trying to wrap your mind around some of these things about how big God is, how vast God is, but yet in all of that, God cares about you. He knows how many numbers of hair that are on your head. Some of it's is easier than others. He's got to count these ones too. It doesn't matter. God is big, and you know, sometimes you, you know, is as, as a child, I could say, Well, God is so big, I can't even I, I how do I come to him? Because he's personal enough that he knows what you're going through. He knows, I, I, how insignificant is one hair that falls off my head? But he knows. And he cares about me. And so as we look at this, we say, hmm, dealing with lost things. I was lost. I was in, in my world of sin, enjoying life. And he kept calling me, kept calling me. You know, Brother Girth tells, uh, you know, of his testimony about the fact that he was, and one of these days I'm going to have this memorized. I hear it like every other Thursday. But, you know, he's like 50 miles up, you know, past uh, Sourdough. 
up Younger Creek, the last five miles, sitting there driving up a creek bed to get to a mining camp. How big is my God? My God is so big that he knew that guy was up there at the end of this creek digging for little gold nuggets. And he sent a man from this church to go witness to him. You tell me that God doesn't care about the seemingly insignificant things of life. As we begin this uh, last parable, let me get rid of that pen. As we begin the actual parable in this, is the prodigal son. And I've heard the, you know, so many messages on the parable of the prodigal son, you know, is the backslidden, saved individual. Um, and as I look at it, I can, I can see both directions on this. I can see where it could be the backslidden. But if I throw it into context, Christ was just telling these people, if there's somebody that's lost, who would not go? If you lost something, you're going to go looking for it, right? I mean, now, you know, we don't have anybody here that I know of that owns sheep. But, you know, let's put it into terms that we can understand. I'm working on a car. And I lose my half-inch breaker bar, and I'm trying to break off a suspension bolt. And I can't find it. What am I going to do? I'm going to tear the garage apart trying to find that part because without that tool, I'm not getting anywhere. I've broken wrenches. I've broken cheater bars trying to make a wrench work. Um, Seth this weekend had to go and cut chains out of a snowblower because somebody... I'm trying to understand this, but, you know, somebody hid the big old tire chains. It sucked one of those up in a snowblower. And so he had to go in there with a torch and, you know, pulleys and, and all these things to cut all that chain out of the snowblower, right? You couldn't do it without using a cutting torch. What if he couldn't find the cutting torch? What would he do? He would have went all around the shop. Where is that stupid thing at? It's not where it's supposed to be. The point being is that if there's something you're searching for, you're going to go looking, right? So if, as saved individuals, we understand there's lost individuals around us, and God commands us to go and preach, is we've been going through the commands of Christ in Sunday school, what's that mean we should do? We should go, we should seek them out, and we should share the gospel with them. That's free. I only got nine more pages to go, and we're not going to get there if I don't shut up. Um, so as we go to Luke chapter 15 again, verses 11 through 13, we're going to see the rude request of, of this son it says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance on riotous living. So the request of this son, you know, Father, just give me everything that's due to me. You know, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 21, excuse me, verse 17, um, it wasn't that the young man was out of, well, socially we would say he was out of place just because the implications of it. But, you know, he had things that were due him, you know, is two sons, the oldest son would be uh, deserving of two-thirds of what the father owned, and the younger son, one-third. So the father had that right to say, okay, yes, here's everything, and get it to his son. But, you know, you have the idea of the fact that it's so shocking, like, you know, essentially what this kid's saying is, I wish you were dead. I don't want you in my life. I'm tired of everything that you stand for. I don't want you to have control of my life anymore. Give me what I deserve. And how many of us are selfish like that and, and say the same thing to God? You know, whether we're saved or not, we still, you know, feel like there's things that we deserve. You know, and, and, and really, what do I deserve? I deserve nothing but the pit of hell. Save the righteousness of Christ that has been placed upon me. In view of the Father, there's nothing that I deserve. And so we see this selfish request of the Son, you know, and, and Christ doesn't elaborate, you know, on, you know, what was the goods he was given or whatever. But in my own mind, I'm trying to, like, think of this. You know, it, it just the attitude of this kid is like, give me. Give me, give me. And so the way I I view it is that, you know, Father's like, okay, gather it up. Here you go. This is all I have to give you. And so this guy, he takes all of his stuff and he has this little cart and he packs it all in this big, you know, as tight as he can get it. All of his belongings, all of the things that are important to him. And his little horse, and he goes off down the road to the next town, sells it all. This stuff doesn't mean anything to me. I just want the money. And, and that's, that's, let's face it, that's our society today, right? Mm-hmm. Just give me the money. I want to work for the almighty dollar. I want to have what I can have while I can get it. And, and that's what this guy's looking for. He's, you know, he's like the riches of the world. All that the world has to offer. You know, there's a song that's, you know, not all that glitters is gold. It's so true. Fool's gold glitters too. It actually glitters more than gold, right, Brother Girth? <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, God created man with the ability to choose who he would serve. You know, God didn't make us robots. Sometimes I wish he would because then I would glorify him as he deserves. But instead, you know, I, you know, I choose to please me sometimes. But uh, the sinner 
that refuses to choose. And I use that word very lightly because the Holy Spirit draws the sinner to God. But the sinner still has the opportunity to say, yes, I accept, I'm, I'm, I'm vile, I'm unworthy. The sinner that chooses to resist the Holy Spirit working in his life and choose what the world has to offer, the pleasure, the fleshly desires, all of the things that, you know, that are attainable for that almighty dollar, you're blinded. They're blinded. And, and I guess I liken it to the fact that, you know, I knew when I would go to the bottle that I couldn't stop myself once I started. Till I was huddled up around that little white porcelain throne because it was so cold and felt so good on my face. How disgusting is that? But it was such a good time. I was blinded. The things that the world has to offer is all but dung. It's all trash. And I say all that because the sinner that decides to go after those things and not go after God, in his heart, is saying, you know, there may be a God, but I don't choose God. And the Bible calls them fools. So if you go to Psalms chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, As this fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now we're going to pause right there for just a second. Because they may not verbally say, I don't believe there's a God. They may not verbally discount what God has done. But the idea that an individual says, this is what God has to offer, and I don't want to choose it right now, so I'm just going to sit it right here, and I'm going to come over here, and I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live it. You may not verbally say there is no God, but essentially what you're saying is, no, there is a God, but you're a fool. And it says, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And we see in verse 2, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And the third word of that third verse, it says, all. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is None that doeth good, no, not one. So the point being is that there is nothing good about any of us save the righteousness of Christ has been placed upon our life. 
if we yield to Him. You know, the world will say, oh, trust your heart. Your heart will, will let your heart guide you. You'll know what you need to do. You'll know what is right. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, one of the things that uh, the world doesn't like about God, there's so many, but one of them is God is absolute. He is righteous. I am not. He is holy. I am not. He has a standard that he holds. And I try to create this huge gray area that I can live in to make myself feel better about the sin that I choose to live in. So, Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Sin is something that Satan tries to wash over and, and make look good. You know, he sells his lies. Like I said, he blinds you. You know, oh, you know, go out with the guys tonight. Have a good time. Climb in the bottle. You'll, you'll never regret it. How many times did you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But 12 o'clock comes around. Hey, we're going to go out tonight. You want to go with us? You know, and everybody's laughing and joking and having fun, doing all these things. And the end thereof is the way of what? Death. I put on here, those who have repented and turned to God is because they listened to God's calling. They came to the realization of their offense to a righteous God and repented. It wasn't that, oh, I see what I am and I just want to clean myself up and then God will accept me. It was like they realized I, I'm abominable. I'm worthless. I'm vile. I'm wicked. The wrath of God is on me. I can't do it of myself. Which is kind of where this kid ends up as we look at verse um, 14 and 16. Of, go back to Luke chapter 15 again. We're looking at Luke chapter 15, verse 14 and 16. We see the reality of sin here. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he, spent, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. So the reality of sin's pleasures is that it's, it's empty and vain, which I've already kind of covered, probably a great depth. But, you know, the idea is that a life that's totally given over to sinfulness and wickedness is going to leave you empty and wanting. And I'm going to kind of... Sometimes I feel like we, we think... Sin has to be something that is so, you know, so gross. 
um, you know, a drunkard on the street or sexual sin or, or just the fleshly pleasures of life. You know, the idea of living life for myself and not yielding to God, period, is sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So with, you know, the idea there that, you know, as a young child, we may not have been afforded the opportunity to uh, take part in all the pleasures of this world has to offer. But as we sit in church and we hear the truth of the gospel given, there is a point in which we understand that, you know, I've not lived as mom and dad have told me to. Mom, dad gave me rules. I disobeyed the rules. That's sin. It, yeah, it may not be killing somebody. It may not be doing bad things. But you know, when God looks at sin, He doesn't rack and stack it. He doesn't say, oh, well, killing a baby, abortion, is any worse than... In James it says, and you get this wrong, Whosoever upholds the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of, here's that absolute again, all. God doesn't rack and stack sin. He doesn't say, oh, this is worse than that. You know, so one sin is enough to send you to hell, right? In uh, Re Revelations chapter 21, verse 8, it says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. And here, and here it is. Again, all liars. I haven't met anybody yet that has not at least told one. Oh, but it was a little white lie. There we go, racking and stacking sin again. And when we look at it at God's standard, is it sin? Yes. Am I guilty? Yes. And where it, what does the end of that verse says? Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is called the second death. So this young man, he knew what he wanted. He was going after it. He was like, I'm going to go full force into this. You know, and it was, he was successful at it. And it was an exciting life. But in the end, all he was doing was running to evil. And that life of destruction come to its end. You know, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 through 24, says, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes, and prudent in their own sight. You know, again, there's things that the world wants to say, Oh, it's okay. It's okay, we'll, 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 we'll cover this up, we'll, we'll sugarcoat it, we'll whatever. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength who to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward, and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble, 
and a flame consumeth the chaff. So their root shall be as rottenness, their bosom shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts, and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. In short, the world is going to say, this is good for you. And it's just rottenness. It's rottenness. And you're going to come to a point where you're like, what happened with my life? Um, a favorite quote of mine, and it's actually been turned into a song as well, but by Kay Arthur, it says, Sin will take you farther than you have ever expected to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you expect, ever expected to pay. It seems good. It draws you in. I would even say like quicksand, sometimes it even sucks you in. But you find out that in the end, you're separated from God. Now, it may be at the very end of your life, you may live a whole life and never have anything really bad happen to you and, and never come, you know, come to a point like, man, my sin is really bad. But in the end, even when you're on that deathbed, gasping for that last breath, you understand I'm separated from a holy and righteous God and there is something that I have to face after I breathe my last. You know, Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you, that He will not hear. The one thing that I can say that is so awesome, though, is that what He does hear is when that repentant sinner comes to Him and says, God, please forgive me. You know, is, is vile and wicked as we are and we, you know, have separated ourselves from God because of our sin and our wickedness. You know, the great thing is, is God knew that we were going to do this, right? He, how loving is this? God knew before He even created Adam and Eve that they were going to eat of that fruit of knowledge of good and evil. He knew that they were going to do it, yet he still formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, still breathed into Adam the breath of life, gave of himself to create life in Adam, knowing, okay, knowing that he was going to turn his back on God and do what he wanted, serve self, sin, he still made the plan. Of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only, not, no, not just gave His Son, gave His only begotten Son. Gave of the very best that He had. Not that God, I mean, God is the best of everything and try uh, those things, try and wrap your mind around. You know? But God still gave of the very best He had, gave His Son to come to this earth to die on the cross so my filth could be put upon Him. So God could look at me and be pleased. So 
Yeah. You look at verse 14 of, of this chapter of Luke again, it says, And when he had spent all, there arose a great famine in the land, and he began to be in want. The music stopped. The friends left. The money was gone. There's no food. The pleasures of life, well, if I don't have money, I can't have pleasures of life. You know, this guy, you know, this kid in this parable, he finds that, you know, all the promises that Satan had given him, all it was doing was sucking him dry. All the, all the money that, you know, he had, everything that he had, everything that was important to him in life is now gone. And now he's hungry. He's, you know, again, when you start really thinking the depth of, of this parable that Christ has given, uh, there's a lot of things that he's, he's like throwing this story out there for these Pharisees to understand, but their minds are darkened, they can't understand it. He talks about the fact that this Jewish boy goes and binds himself to a pig farmer. And of course, in Jewish traditions, that is an abomination in itself. I'm going to read this so I can get it straight because in my mind it's a little backwards. But you see, here's this Jewish boy who finds himself feeding pigs. For a Jewish man to stoop to this level would mean that he had reached the very bottom of the barrel of life. He was filled with shame, and he was hungry. And when you're truly hungry and you have nothing, you will do anything that you can to fill your belly. As we see in this parable, it was not only shameful for an angel to be associated with pigs because they were considered unclean, but it was an abomination. He needed to fill his belly, and the only food that was available to him was that which the farmer was giving to his pigs. The farmer wasn't giving him bread for payment. The farmer wasn't providing him anything. I mean, you could even say to the point where, you know, you really think about this. This, this kid was so hungry that he's fighting the pigs for food. He has no roof over his head. You know, whether the clothes he had were tattered and torn or not really doesn't matter. But, you know, I mean, the point of the story is he went to the beyond the bottom. I got to feed myself. I got to do what I got. I got to sustain life. I'll do whatever I got to do. And it brought him suffering. So here he is. He has no home. He has no help. He has no hope. He has no one that cares for him. You couldn't even say that the farmer cared for him because what was the farmer doing? The farmer's like, I got to take care of myself. I got to feed these pigs. I don't want to lose the pigs. I'll lose my crop. I'll lose my money. You know, if, you, if you need to eat, you can eat the, the husk that the swine are eating. I really don't care whether you live or die. 
You know, I mean, truth be known, pigs will eat anything that they're given. So if you die, at least why does my pigs have something to eat? I mean, that's gross, but it's true. Nobody cared about him, or at least wise. So he felt at that point. Sin doesn't change, it brings suffering. It brings shame. But as we look in verse 17 of this chapter, it says, When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to eat and spare, and I perish with hunger? Now, as I read this several times, I'm like, well, he still sounds selfish here. You know, because he's like, I'm hungry. And, well, leastwise, if I was a servant, I'd have something to eat if I was with my father. You know, so you can still see maybe there might be a little bit of selfishness in this kid. As we go on, though, we find that in verse 19, he says, or verse 18, rather, I will rise and go to my father. And saying to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no worthy to be called no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So we see here that there was a change. We see repentance starting to take place here. You know. We talk about salvation. We say that it, it, it's, you know, repentance of your heart towards your sinful life. Repentance is that idea that I'm going down the pathway of sin. I'm enjoying myself. I'm having fun. And then I realize this is an offense to my God. It isn't the circumstance. Get this, okay? It's not the circumstance that makes me turn. It's the fact that I realize that I have offended my God. Because circumstances will make us like, oh, well, you know, I, you know, I, I shouldn't do that. Or this is painful. Or I'm starving because of what sin has done in my life. It's not, you know, I am dying from some disease because I decided to go with the pleasures of the world and I, want, oh, I don't want that anymore, so I'm going to go to God. It's, there's a real fine line there. Real fine line. Because we can allow circumstances to help us make better choices, right? It's not the circumstance that draws me to God. It's not the circumstance that makes me change my mind. It's the fact that I realize that I am abhorrent in the sight of God because of my sin. I don't choose God because I want my circumstances to be better. I turn to God because I understand that my life is vile in His sight and I want him to make me his child. So I turn and repent and draw nigh to God. Again, I mentioned earlier several times that, you know, sin 
it blinds our eyes. Satan lies to us. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so again, is, is adults, as saved individuals, it is our duty, and we should do it out of love, but it is our duty to be obedient to God's Word and share the truth of the Gospel to the lost around us. Why? Because Satan is going to put those blinders on. He's going to lie to them. You know, I can't, I can't really see the truth. But preaching... Let's see, I'm going to mess that one up if I try to quote it. Romans chapter 10. Brother Gerst back there quoting it in his mind because he knows where I'm going. <laughs> how shall they call upon him in whom they have not heard or not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Romans 10 and verse 14. Point being is the fact that if no one shares the gospel with them, no one takes the time to share the gospel with them, they won't hear. Another one drops into the pit of hell. You know, growing up in the church that I was in, they had a lighthouse in the back corner the light flashed every second. And the idea was every second, three souls go to hell. Three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen. If we, you know, a lot of times, again, we say, oh, well, that's the pastor's job to preach gospel. No, it's not. It's the pastor's job to teach us, to train us, to equip us. What was the verse we started off with? All Scripture is profitable. His job is to train us so we can go. His job is to train us so we can know how to talk to the young ones, to show them the truth of God's Word. We can't lay it on the shoulders of the pastor. We can't lay it on the shoulders of someone else. Are you saved? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior, your King, your Lord, your God, as we sang this morning? If you have, then we go back to Matthew chapter 28. Go ye therefore and teach. That was free too. So we see the, you know, this young man, he repents. He says, you know, I'm, I'm unworthy. There's nothing of me. My dad shouldn't accept me back. 
I should be a slave. But in verse 18 and 19, we see a resolve in him. He says, I will arise and go to my father. Yeah, he, he realizes I'm worthless. I'm, worth, I'm unworthy. I'm going to rise and I'm going to go to my father. And I say unto him, I've sinned against heaven and against thee. And what I like about that is, you know, that, that portion of the parable is that he draws it out that it's not just, you know, Bob, I'm, I offended you and I'm sorry. If I offend my brother, if I have wronged him, yes, I have sinned against him. But if he's a child of God, I've sinned against God. Even more so, with we got a couple young ones in here. If I am a stumbling block and that young man never makes it to Christ because of my bitter disposition or because of some sin in my life that you know has led him astray, if I hinder him from seeing Christ. The Bible says it'd be better for me to have a millstone tied around my neck and thrown into the deepest ocean. I've sinned against heaven. So he makes up his mind. He's like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to apologize, tell my father I'm sorry. And, and I guess the thing to really take out of this is the fact that, you know, he wasn't going home like, well, I'm going to go home, I'm going to apologize, I'm going to get a ring put on my finger, get my coat put back on, get some shoes on my feet, I'm going to be good. I'm going to go to my dad and say, you know, he'll just forgive me. No, what's he say? I'll be a slave. So we're talking about this kid who left home because he wanted it all. His selfishness. Give me, give me, give me, give me. And now he's like, you know, I'm, I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. I'm sorry. Just make me a servant. I just want to have a relationship with you again. You know, this kid who, who couldn't stand to have his father, and you know, and again, you know, the Christ doesn't elaborate in this parable, but you know, in my mind, again, it's like it doesn't show that this father is like lording over him and you have to do this. But that's that's the the idea that you get from the sons, like I'm just gonna run. But that's what sin does to us as well. You know, we it's like we start kind of like ah well now I don't want God to look at me because I've sinned. You know, he, he just, come and repent. Come to me and repent. I will forgive. He promises us in his word. And we're over, over, over. The idea is that he wants, he wants to go home. He wants to be renewed. He wants to call his father his master. As how, how his mind and his heart has changed. So in the latter verses, verses 20 
the end of verse 20 through 24. And it says, um, but he was, uh, and he arose, and his father came, but when he was great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him. And the son said to the father, again, you know, I mean, what he had decided he was going to do earlier, he's following through with. He said, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to call thy son. But the father had compassion and said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring forth, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. He found reception. As vile and as wicked as we are, as much as God abhors to have to look upon sin, if we come to Him repentant, we come to Him and say, I'm sorry, He will hear, He will forgive, He will heal. God made a way for us to be redeemed. In Isaiah 53.10, he says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, and thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. 1 John 2.2, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, cutting this short, the idea is that we can have the things that we desire in this world, and that's all they are, is the things of this world. When we leave this world, it's all staying here. I ain't going with us. I come in naked, I'm leaving naked. First John 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew not Him. Beloved, now are the sons of God. It doth not yet appear that we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall be Him as He is. See Him as He is. Point being, when the sinner repents, they become the Son of God. When the sinner repents, heaven rejoices. So again, lay it at your feet. Where are you at? Are you condemned? Is your life headed for the pits of hell even though it seems like right now I have all the joys and wonders of the world has to offer? If you come to that point in time in your life that you can say, yes, I have repented, then glory to God. I like Brother Gerth that when we're in prison, he draws a line on the board. Here's your life. 
you were born here and we're right here right now. Anywhere in that time, have you ever come to the point where you said, God, I am, I am a sinner, I'm vile, I'm wicked, I need your son's work on the cross? Have you ever done that? If no, why not today?